Hey everyone, welcome to Group Text. My guest today is Amanda Seals. She is funny, she is smart, she is creative. Here we go. She's a comedian, <laughs> an actress, a writer, a social justice advocate, a producer, and now a radio host. Jesus, that's a lot of stuff. The syndicated Amanda Seals show premiered on November 7th on uh, 100.3 WRNB in Philadelphia. Yay, Penn, my alma mater. Mm. And it is sure, I am sure, to be a big hit. Please welcome, after that very long introduction, Amanda Seals. <laughs> Could Hello. You, hi, you take multi-hyphenate to a new level. Do I? I okay, wait, wait, do I have to do this again for you? Comedian, actress, writer, social justice activist, producer, radio host. Oh, I forgot. And podcaster. I mean, but you know what? To be honest, I feel like there were people that were doing it that way before it had a name. And that's how I even knew that I could do it that way. Like, I remember looking at like Chris Rock, Chelsea Handler and Ellen and being like, oh, they all have these like buckets that they can fill. And they've all managed to fill those buckets based on their point of view. And I want to do the same. I agree. Because so, my mom was the same way and I'm the same Exactly. Way. But don't you sometimes feel a little bit, and sometimes I definitely feel this way, a little bit like Sybil? Because everything <laughs> has a slightly different personality. I mean, you know, it's funny. I was, I was um, walking with my neighbor this morning and I was telling her that I have like different minds like different modes you know like i'll be in stand-up mode and my brain is like operating a certain way when i'm in stand-up mode and it's like everything i look at is like is that a, is that is that a, is that a bit is that a bit is that a bit is that a bit and then but then i'll be like in content mode you know where i'm just like is this content is this content is this content and it's like a lot of times they can't really exist at the same time so i feel you I yeah, feel you. you say it much more elegantly than i do where i'm like <laughs> yeah civil <laughs> And then when you do like what I did um, for years working live and you have the IFB in. Oh, that's its own thing. Well, no. And then yes. I'm always like there. I'm literally listening to the voices in my head. Yes. Which is a whole <laughs> other issue. Um, okay. You were born in LA, but you have dual mm-hmm. citizenship with uh, Grenada where your mm-hmm. mom is from. Now this, this is crazy. You moved to Orlando, where you actually graduated from high school. Then you went on to New York did you, for college, NYU? Yeah. No, then, uh, undergrad at SUNY Purchase, graduate at Columbia. Right. And I was getting to Columbia. Oh. This, you're, you got a master's at Columbia. Now, let's make sure I've got this right. African-American <laughs> studies with a concentration in hip-hop. Now, I don't want to seem confused. Mm-hmm. I'm going to need you to extrapolate, but I want to be super fancy right now and say... And I actually knew this. <laughs> Did you delve into the roots of the Sugarland gang who were actually credited <laughs> for the term hip hop? Well, it's actually Sugar Hill gang. Sugar Hill. My bad. <laughs> Sugarland. Oh, and- Sugarland, by the way, Sugarland is a, con- was a country group. But yes. they're credited for the term hip hop. Well, because of the song. Right. You know, it's a hip hop, hip it, hip it to the hip, hip hop. You don't stop rocking to the bang, bang. But you say up jump the boogie to the rhythm of the boogity beat. Yeah, exactly. Um, Yes and no. You know, so basically the reason why I was able to to make my concentration hip hop was because at the time I was on Sirius Satellite Radio and I was on um, Hip Hop Nation and all of my co-workers at well, a number of my co-workers at Sirius were hip hop legends. Like I would look around and I'd have 
um, Grandmaster Flash in one studio and, you know, Red Alert in another studio and MC Light in the next studio and Dana Dane behind me. And I was like, you know, I need to I need to archive these minds like while we're here, while I have access to them. And so basically what I would do is any class I had, any papers that I had, I would find a way to make that paper somehow um, attach or align to a theme that I could like academize from hip hop. And then I would make sure that a portion of the paper would be interview with somebody from this, you know, great, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Well, somebody genre, just from the, the, yeah, the creators somebody from of the, the genre, genre that I had access to. And then I would, so my papers would always be in like, there would always be like a third of the paper that was interview, which is also very convenient, by the way. Um, yes, it is. And it it would takes be- up a lot of pages <laughs> because pages. you can indent and double space. Yeah. I went to Penn, so I get when you're like trying to like, you're, you can only, when you're suddenly triple spacing to get yes. enough done. You're like, so we can do this in Courier, right? Yeah. Great. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it was really just me trying to be creative with my education. And I feel like that's something that a lot of folks don't think that they can do. And so you get a lot of dropouts. You get a lot of people getting degrees that they don't care about. And I really, whenever I speak at schools, trying to encourage folks, like, make this worth your while. You may be here for your parents, but figure out how to make this worth your while. And that's how I did it for my graduate degree. And um now, I mean, there's a lot more academy around hip hop, just like that one point in time, there wasn't anything around jazz and there's like a whole academy around jazz. So it's, it was only a matter of time. One of the schools I know has a has a class on Taylor Swift. Well, you know, a lot of these professors, like they're basically like pressured to create courses yes. that people will take, you know, so that they'll in, level up the tuition, et cetera, et cetera. Well, it's I'm like, not it's, really it's, sure what it's, that course is. It's, it's clickbait for <laughs> academia. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Just do like that. feminism and Taylor, Taylor Swift. I'm sure yeah. it's something like that. Are you are people surprised when they find out you're such an academic? I think so. I think maybe not so much now because like I think it shines a lot on social media and on my radio show. But um, I think honestly, you know what? I remember when I was at I was at VH1. I was on Best Week Ever for years and I was hosting like all these like top 80 songs, you know, top one hit wonders of the 80s, et cetera, et cetera. And I just reached this point where I was like, I'm not doing enough. Like I have enough. I I don't have enough in my scope to really make me feel fulfilled. And so I remember taking a meeting with my like head honcho of my department (laughs) and telling her that I wanted to do more. And she was like, you know, in talking to you, I realized I always thought you were just another dumb talent who could read a prompter. I didn't know you were this smart. And I was like, what? And that really was like a bell for me because it let me know, like, you need to make more of an effort to like bring this part of you into your work and also let people know that like there is a whole other level of you. And so I've made a point on my in my content to bring the academy in. But I don't think um, for a long time people really knew that. I always say there's moments in your career where you can be really happy because you're showing your parents their money was well spent. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, I have a I have a live show. It's a comedy game show called Smart, Funny and Black. And on the surface, it's a game show. But in its true meaning, it is about community and it's about black culture. But it's also about getting to use my master's. 
every time I'm on stage <laughs> and feeling like these college loans were for something. So we find a way. What do you like to read? Because I'm a big nonfiction reader. I find reading fiction difficult because I was a history major. So I. Okay. I come you at. You like the facts. Yes. Um, You know what? It's I, it, I'm piecemeal. Because when I read nonfiction, I don't like reading straight through. I like taking I like snacking on it. Whereas like when I read fiction, I like get into it and I will devour the book. But I don't feel like I have that rhythm with nonfiction. It's like I take it. I like I read. First of all, I'm a slow reader. So even with nonfiction, I'm even slower because I have to like make sure I get every point that they're saying, everything that they're trying to get across to me. And then I want to digest it. But I've been doing something different lately where I've been audible. I've been doing audible for nonfiction, which just feels like I'm listening to like a TED talk. Right. right? So I be, I feel like I digest it better that way. It, it, I think because also, do you consider yourself, like I start with this, a comedian, an actress or a storyteller? Hmm. I don't consider myself an actress. I feel like for me, acting is like a trade. It's like, it's this thing that I was trained to do and I'm able to do very well, very proficiently, but it doesn't bring me the same joy that being a comedian and a storyteller do. I think at the end of the day, if I had to choose between comedian and storyteller, I would, I think I would land on storyteller because I can do that across multiple, multiple mediums. And comedians are storytellers. Naturally. Yeah. And they also, and I want to get into your social activism. They also can make social activism more understandable and more palatable. I think Absolutely. back to like a Lenny Bruce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, for real. I mean, you know, what's funny is that for it, when I was like, just kind of getting my, my bearings in stand up and like really didn't decide kind of like just being able to discern what my voice was like, I thought telling stories was hacky. And then it took like people telling me like, no, like not everybody is good at telling stories. Like this is actually something that is a skill that you need to really like lean into. And so I definitely feel like I've then combined that with using stories to talk about, to your point, different elements of social activism. I mean, I had a whole um, one woman show called the Side Eye Seminar, um, identifying and defying everyday forms of sexism. And the whole show was basically me using different stories to talk about different parts of uh, sexism from and rape culture. So from like just the basics of like, you know, saying you throw like a girl to something more extreme, like talking about consent. And it was like always, <laughs> it was always fascinating to see the, cause I would, I would do this at colleges. It was always fascinating to see the college guys like in the beginning, be really uncomfortable. Like, Oh God, we're going to have to, we're going to have to listen to this. And, you know, we got to, you know, our frat parties are going to be part of this conversation, et cetera. But then by the end they were more, they were definitely more open and receptive because it was packaged like, you know, in the Mary Poppins fashion, spoonful of sugar. <laughs> it, it, you must be terrifying. You must scare executives in pitch meetings. That's all I'm going to say on that. Um, <laughs> I hate pitch meetings. I despise the process of pitching. And to the point where at this point, I'm just like, if I never did it again, it would be too soon. I, like, I genuinely hate it. I, I think we all do. Um some people like it, Melissa. Some Who people likes love pitching? It because they like peddling their wares. Ugh. And you know what? Some people really just like the, they, they feel a sense of um, accomplishment when something gets picked up. But I don't 
because the development process ends up ends up being a whole other thing. And then a lot of times you're just like, well, who the hell is this person to say that this thing is worth making? Who the hell are you? What have you made? You know what I mean? I, so <laughs> I, I I can't stand pitch meetings. So you you brought up your show. Um, you've been doing it since uh, Smart, Funny, and Black Lives since 2016. Yep. 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 Pandemic happens. Um, but how did you try to keep it going? Because you did try during lockdowns and with social distancing. Oh, yeah. We did successfully, actually. We did it um, virtually. So we were able to do the show virtually. We would have our guests come on. Um, we were using different platforms like StreamYard and Hopin. And we were able to sell tickets. Like for the first year of the pandemic, we would do the show. I think we did the show like six times. We sold tickets um, online. People bought tickets. Like we, I mean, we really managed to keep things going. And I only stopped doing the live versions this year because we were back in the world and, you know, people just weren't showing up in the same way. We were doing them for free at this point, but people just weren't, you know, wanting to see them the same way. And I was going back on on tour anyway, so it didn't even really serve the purpose. But I think ultimately we were able to keep it going because during the pandemic, people were legit locked down. And even if they didn't want, even if they were in places that maybe didn't have as strict rules, like I, I wasn't bringing smart, funny and blackout, you know, and right. they still wanted that content. So this is how they were going to get it. It had to be hard doing it without the audience reaction. Yo. Because Yo. comedians <laughs> and performers it, we it, need it. Well, you need it's that feeling of love and acceptance and the energy. But it also is like a fuel. Yeah, you know, when energy. you're out there, yeah, it's the energy. Like when you're out there, you're giving, giving, giving. And so it it, it gives you back. And it's 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 a it's a, a a give and a refilling and a give and a refilling. And so actually after the first show, I was like in a depression the next day. Like I had used up all of my like dopamine and everything just giving it to this computer screen and I got nothing back and like the next day I was just drained and just like why do I feel this way and so it took me a couple a couple shows to learn how to balance that I'm giving to the ether to the ether you know and that I'm not going to get it back in the same way you also don't know if the material is landing no Unless you're like trying to watch a chat at the same time, et cetera. So it, it can be a very lonely road, but you kind of just got to just deal with it. I mean, listen, I hosted the BET Awards in 2020 in my house, <laughs> like on a green screen in my freaking house. And I remember writing my monologue and I was really struggling because I don't write jokes. I, I don't write them like I don't sit down with a pen and write jokes. I write on stage. So I didn't have on stage to like try material out and, and to just kind of feel my way through. And I was like, really worried, like, wait a minute, what are you going to do? And I had to just change my focus and think of it as a one woman show, which I've written several. And, and when you write a one woman show though, you're not writing for the sake of, okay, I'm trying to get laughs. Like, even if you're writing something funny, it's not in the same mindset of I'm writing this joke for the laugh. And it may not, I may not even be articulating it correctly, no, but you're it works. Articulating it brilliantly, but it's also, I think, because you and I speak a different, we speak the right. same language. <laughs> so if nobody's following, sorry. We get it. We get so, it. But it worked. It worked. And I, I was really happy how the monologue came out and people responded to it. But it was, it actually was trippy to me to like realize, like, oh, I had to just change my mindset 
And I mean, I tell the same jokes that I wrote in that space. I tell those on stage, but uh, I needed to change my mindset in order to get there. Did you dress up? I go right back to the shallow. Did you dress up? Did I dress up? Girl, I had 13 costume changes. Okay. (laughs) And because, listen, so we were going to record in a studio with a very small crew that was COVID tested, but then my stylist assistant got COVID. So then they were like, we can't even do that. We got, can we do it in your house? So I was dating somebody at the time who was evil, but I was able to get him a check to help me set up this green screen. Okay. Then the cameras were like remote operated. And then of course, because this is now a COVID lockdown, I couldn't have a hairstylist. I couldn't have my makeup artist. I couldn't have my stylist. I'm doing my own makeup in my bathroom with my makeup artist on FaceTime, like giving me instructions, <laughs> like, okay, highlighter. No, 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 no. Down, 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 down. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. Oh, easy, easy. You know, my hairstylist is also on the zoom and she's like, okay, we're going to take this braid and then we're going to take that braid. <laughs> and then my hair, my stylist, he's like, you know, trying to have me, okay, back up, back up. No, I don't like the way that's falling. I don't like the way that pants is falling. And I had like all these costumes cause we did Bits. I mean, it was a thing. I don't get enough credit for it. So I'm giving myself credit. (laughs) I can't imagine what your bedroom must have looked like afterwards. Ripping off clothes and hurling them to the ground. Madness. And the whole time the dude I'm dating is literally outside on the phone, FaceTiming with people telling them, yeah, I helped save the BET Awards. Can you zip this dress up? (laughs) I'm struggling here legit there is a hook and eye i know it's there i know it's there (laughs) Um, you talk about working out material and you said you don't write before you write on stage do you tape record do you record it so you can go back and listen to what worked i do i don't think i ever really go back and listen to what worked i mean i think you know, the recordings come in handy when you have like a little bit of a lull when you haven't been on stage and then you you can listen back to the recordings to get a refresher of like your rhythm, you know, like you forget jokes, you know, uh, me being on the road. I've been on the road for the past six months, so I've been pretty, you know, fresh with my content and I uh, I have a special. I mean, I could shoot a special today. It's just a matter of where it's going to be done and how it's going to be done. But the recordings start to become helpful again once you're like paring down for that special and really trying to see where is there meat that I, where's there like, you know, roughage that I can get out of here because that's what I think I don't like when I watch a special and I feel like there's a casualness. I want it to be tight. I don't want it to feel like a freestyle and I don't want mine to feel that way. Right. And also you go back and really can see what landed and what did and how you can, well, well, how you can tweak something. In the moment, you a laugh may feel like, <laughs> and then you listen back to the recording, and it's really more. It was more of a chuckle. It was more of a. There's chuckle. also <laughs> the converse, which is something yes, that you feel like that's true. Eh, and then you listen and you hear it grow. Like, oh, they got it. They yeah. got it. Um, yeah, I love. I love to hear a rolling laugh. I love to hear people start with the laugh, and then they. It's like they get it as the more they're thinking about it, and it goes from a ha 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 ha. And then they're pointing at you. Um, in a good way. Um, yeah. So on the road, when people tour a lot and growing up on the road and still continuing to be on the road through a lot of my adult life for different things, people have these weird habits of things they need to make them feel comfortable city to city. I was just talking to someone about this where my mom always had 
the TV on because it was consistent. And she mm. would go, she would always have on like forensic files. Yes, it's a little weird. I'm, I'm, I'm aware. <laughs> and law and order. So there was a familiarity to the space. Mm, I have okay. a thing where I have to put my stuff out, even though it's just overnight, and have it be organized. So I feel like I have some control. Do you have any of those, those quirky little habits? I need a view. Okay. I need a view. And it's not like it has to be some crazy thing, but so, and some people might be listening like, oh, that's bougie. And it's like, it's not that it's just, you're in these rooms all the time. And if you're someone like me, I'm a cancer, I'm a homebody. My room, wherever I'm at is my home for however long I'm there, whether that's 36 hours or a week. And I just want to be able to go work and come home. I want to feel like I've come home and I need to be able to look out the window. I remember I was staying at a hotel in New York. And when I got there, I realized that my view was another building and it was like claustrophobic. And it was something that I didn't realize affected me so much. And I felt very claustrophobic. And I called my assistant. I was like, we got to change hotels because the hotel was like, we don't have any other rooms. And she was like, you're going to lose a night. And I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to have to take it. I'm going to have to take the L because I really, I like feel like sick to my stomach. And so I ended up going uptown, baby. Mm-hmm. And, um, but that's like the thing, even if I'm in a, in a room where the view is, you know, the city or whatever, like I just, I like to be able to see out and like see a distance at least. That's fascinating that that's what, you, I mean, everybody has different, they have different things, different yeah. weird things on the road. I never turn on the TV in a room. Really? Yeah. I Now that you said it, I was like, I actually never turn on the TV. Like it's rare. I end up watching my computer. Um, if my partner is with me, he'll watch the TV. But I feel like I never really get around to it. I just end up watching my computer or just being on the phone. See, for my mom, it was, again, because it needed to feel like home. It yeah. was consistency. Yeah, that makes sense. I get it. So your new radio show. Yay. What do you love about radio? Because people who love doing radio, there's a very specific, usually why they love it. You know, this is a return for me. My first job out of college was at Sirius Satellite Radio, and I was on the radio for four years. And it was a different way of doing radio than most had done for the, you know, because when I got to Sirius in 20, in 2003, it was new. It was very new. This was very like groundbreaking. You didn't have to be live. You could voice track and I could just go in and do, you know, a four hour show in an hour. Um, It was, it was brand new. And I really liked to your mom's point, the consistency. Um, But it was, it was a good balance of consistency, but also variety. I'm not doing the same thing every day in terms of content, but I have somewhere I know to go to get that content out. And in coming back to radio at this point in my life, one, I just, Hollywood at this point feels like just the entertainment business of things feels so far from my own joy space. Just the effort that it will take for me to get my ideas out and get my creativity and my voice out in that space is so arduous that it was like, it was making me not like the art that I do. And once you reach that point, you got to pivot because 
that's what we're here for. So radio just came in like an angel um, as this outlet for me to be able to speak my voice, but also get to be creative. I get to do my characters on the show. You know, I get to come up with different set, uh, different types of segments. We have the PSA, the public seals announcement that I do every week. <laughs> and I do it as a poem, you know, just to push myself to be a little more creative. We have at the end of every week, I do things I learned this week. Yeah. And I share three things that I learned this week. And we have people call in with the things they learned. And then ever so often I do Black Around the World. And it's a segment where I talk about, you know, stories of black folks in different countries. And then I do a segment called um, What's the Word? And I teach people a new word for that week because people always talk about that they like my vocabulary, even though I haven't really shown it off here today. But you did say extrapolate earlier. And I was like, ooh, okay. Extra- oh, extra. I love extrapolate. <laughs> I love, and, so, and the other one that makes people crazy, and I used to do it all the time, but my boyfriend does it too, and I now realize why people go bananas for it, is I don't disagree with you. <laughs> the double negative. The double that. negative. I don't disagree with you. I don't disagree with you. Deleterious is my word that I overuse. I mean, I feel like my next special should just be called deleterious and I'll wear a pink leather suit as like an homage to delirious for Eddie Murphy. But but that's what radio, you know, so radio is that it's also um, it's also cool to just have a new challenge. This syndicated radio in itself is a different world than doing serious satellite radio. I do get to record from home, so I still get to record in the way that I'm comfortable with and I get to record on the road. The effort of being syndicated is that you are picking up different affiliates in different cities, and that's something that I don't know, so it's a new business. So it has kind of like an old dog, new tricks kind of vibe to it too. It keep, It's keeping me on my toes in terms of just getting the opportunity to develop something new and for the first time have a machine behind me for something that is completely mine. I mean, it's literally called the Amanda Seals show. And the other element that we added to it is that it's turned into a week, a daily podcast. So even if you're not in a city where we're heard terrestrially, you can listen wherever you hear podcasts. And that's been interesting now because we're global. So we're getting calls from people around the world. So it's a new element for them on in terms of radio for Reach Media, Radio One, Urban One, because they have shows like the D.L. Hughley show, Ricky Smiley show. You know, those are very, very successful syndicated shows. And now with my show, they're adding this podcast element. And it's already even in a short amount of time proving to be a a dope added element to getting listeners. So it's, it's just, you know, it's just exciting, Melissa. It's because it's so cool. It's gotta be. Do you ever look and think about like you're reaching people all over the world and making them think? So that's the part. That's the part that's been trippy is people calling in and saying, thank you so much for this show. We need this. I'm learning. And I genuinely, you know, you asked earlier, do I consider myself an actress, a comedian, or a storyteller, a lot of people have been saying lately, like, you're a teacher, you're a teacher, you're a teacher. And that's something I don't think I ever really applied to myself. But as we're in what I call the age of idiocy. Oh, I love that. I'm going to steal that. Take it. Run with it. I'm going like to steal that. We are in the age of idiocy. Better than I did. And... Better than what I call it. Just, why is everyone so fucking stupid? <laughs> <laughs> that works too. That is valid. Um, I think... It's important now more than ever that we have to 
as this uh, this page on Instagram, the Tennessee Holler, their tag is yell the truth. And I love that because it's so easy for so many of us to see something that's dumb or wrong or misinformation, disinformation and just say, oh, wow, that's stupid and not engage. And it, I get it. But at this point, we have to be an army of intellects if we're going to challenge that. And I'm a huge believer that education is the key to liberation. And when we look at particularly America, we have been lied to for so many years in this this gross um this gross misrepresentation of our intellect. This country really thinks that it's smart and compared to everywhere else, baby, we are not. Oh, we're, for the sh- we're dumb we're for the dumb. sheer fact, for the sheer fact that we don't even consider other places, right? Like that's why we do a segment called Black Around the World because so many people are just kind of have their blinders on to just the American way and the American way in many ways is not, is not the best way. I'm not saying we don't have stuff going for us, but I just think that there's a whole world out here and so to get to reach that world with my radio show and then have that world talking back really does feel like more than just a job. It feels like a responsibility. And it's really exciting to have that. I mean, don't get me started on education, but, you know, it, it, you tap into that, which is, you know, I am my mother was second generation. My mother was second generation. My father was a first generation immigrant. Mm-hmm. And I think so much of it and, and also so much in the black community uh, education is the one thing they can't take away. Yo, have you been listening to me talk? No, that's, but that's, that's, uh, that's always, it's the one. I say that at every college I speak to, you know, that it, is my line. Oh. They can take your house. They can take your kids. They can take your car. They can take your name, but they cannot take what you know. They can't take it. And it's funny because you bring that up. It's also a very much an immigrant mentality. I never thought of it that because way. Because when people had sense. to immigrate and leave everything behind, right? that's all you right. had. Yes. And my mom is an immigrant. Right. You know, so I was raised in a house where education was centered. And it's not to say that my mom was like strict about grades. I was more strict with myself about grades that she didn't even have to be. You know, I was the one that was just like, I don't know what I'm doing. I need you to get me a tutor. Um, <laughs> my like, little different right. than my son who's like, I got this. And I'm like, you don't got this. <laughs> no, algebra two got me. Oh, and I didn't I even just... bother trying to take calculus. Yeah. Oh, I let that go. You got to know your strengths. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I'd be telling people all the time. Y'all make your life easier for yourself. Know your strengths. Know your assets. Quit putting yourself through difficult things for no reason. I don't need to go through calculus. When I went to graduate school, um, you had to take the GRE. I applied to Temple NYU Columbia. And when you take the GRE at that time, you had to take the English portion, the math portion, a written portion, and then a bonus portion. And the bonus portion was going to be either math or English, depending. It just was a random. You didn't random. You didn't know. And I was like, you know, if this bonus portion is math, I'm not finishing this damn test. And sure enough, that bonus portion came math. And I was like, okay, 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 Amanda, don't be silly. And I did like three questions. I was like, I'm out of here. I'm going to graduate school for African-American studies. I don't need to know how this X and Y, the linear, I don't even, I don't need to know this. But you know what ended up happening? I got into Temple. I got into Columbia. NYU, I didn't get into because of my GRE score. But with Columbia, I was able to ask once I got in, like, well, how, how come I got into Columbia with this GRE score? And they said, because even though your math wasn't what it needed to be, 
you scored a perfect on the writing and you scored like really, really high on verbal. And that's what we're actually doing. And I was like, you know what? I like it here already. People are logical. That's what I appreciate. I always say when push comes to shove, unless you're in business management, all you really need to do is be in your is do tips and discounts. Tips and discounts, babe. I'm not over here trying to figure out complex systems. I know. Yeah, tips and discounts. I just got to, and I need to be able to see my commissions. Oh, but that, oh yeah, percentages. Percentages, percentages yes. are good too. But I put that in with tips. Tips, yes. The tips fair. are percentages. Mm-hmm. I like that. I'm going to add that tips, percentages, and and commissions. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, <laughs> you talk about, so many things, rape culture, police brutality, racism. I mean, the list goes on and on. And I I go back to where are we with comedy? Is the pendulum swinging back to the middle where we can say things that are funny but edgy and take on topics that even a year ago you couldn't say? Um, I mean, I don't think that ever stopped. I think ultimately comedians are going to comed, you know, I think. (laughs) Shall we, shall we conjugate that in Latin? (laughs) Comedic, comedic, comedus. You know, comediotis. I mean, I just think at, at the end of the day. We're in a reckoning. We're in like a very, we're in like a time of reckoning. I, I, I liken it to imagine two geysers one from like the purest of spring water and the other from like a septic tank. And they're both happening at the same time. And so there's a lot that's just, there's a lot of cross pollination of that. You're not really sure sometimes what part is the shit. You're not really sure sometimes what part is the pure part. And so we've got a lot of folks that are just in the mix of all of that. And they're not really able to determine like, when is this just comedy or when is this actually deleterious to our social growth? You know, when is this somebody challenging us to think? And when is this somebody getting low hanging fruit for not thinking at all? Um, Critical thinking isn't enough of a centerpiece for, I think I feel for, for folks to be trying to delve in that deeply into people's content. At this point, I feel like you either like it or you don't. It's either for you or it's not. I think when we start, I think there's a there's an effort that people are moving with that in many cases comes from a noble place, which is to stand up for the unheard, you know, to to speak out for those that they feel are being falsely targeted. And I think that that effort being pointed in the direction of comedians um at the end of the day, they are people publicly performing. So yes, you have every right to say, I don't like what you said. I do, however, think that there's like a disproportionate amount of effort being put in that direction than being put in the direction of folks who actually like make the laws that affect the lives of the people that we're trying to protect. That's very nice. So you basically you're saying yell at your politicians, don't cancel comedians. There you go. Yeah. Cancel but, your politicians. Yell at your comedians. Cancel, cancel your, your politicians. politicians. Yeah, that that makes more sense. What are you watching right now? What am I watching right now? I'm I'm watching The Crown. I'm watching The Crown. You know, so, okay, when Princess Diana passed away, my mother and I were supposed to go to the fabric store that day. 
I was a gymnast and I used to make my own leotards. And there was this particular store that used to have very unique fabric and it was out of the way. So we had to like plan to go. And so it was I've been waiting all weekend to go to this fabric store. And so we got to go. And that morning, my mom gets the news about Christmas Diana and she's like in shambles. I'm like, what? what is you don't even know this lady? Why are you in shambles? Are we going to the store? And I just remember her being so aghast at my lack of compassion and just being like, I cannot believe you. How are you so unmoved by this? And I'm 14, like, because I have a, we're going to the fabric store. I don't know. This is sad, but I don't know her. Yeah. What about me? Typical 14. Yeah. But for what it's worth. In watching this season of The Crown, I I have to call my mom today, actually, to tell her, like, okay, now I get it. Because if you'd been watching Diana's story, her passing was just it wasn't an isolated incident of tragedy. It was a culmination. And I think for my mom, who had been following it closely, who also my mom went to nursing school in London. So she felt a certain type of attachment, you know, to England. I think for her, you know, she just she really felt for this person who had just seemed to be perpetually unhappy in a situation and then had finally gotten out of it and then died so tragically. And now I get it. I'm only, it only took, you know, 28 years, I think. Okay. So you're you're watching the crown. So I'm watching the crown, by the way. Yeah. So that was a long route to say I'm watching the crown. Um, But I, I, I've said that because they did a great job of like illuminating this story to me, the crown I'm watching uh, in contrast, I'm watching the college, the sex life of college girls. I'm watching (laughs) peripheral, which I don't really understand, but I continue to come back to it. Um, And I just watched the movie tar. I'm dying uh, to watch tar. You said you're trying. I'm dying to watch it. Oh, you're dying. Well, so I tried the first time I had to try. And I was like jet lagged. And I was like, I don't understand what I'm watching. It's too much talking. Uh, And then I was like, well, you rented it for $20. You need to try again. And then I watched it and I was like, oh, I was like very into it. So give it a chance for anybody who's watching it. That first the first 30 minutes is a is a slow pace, but it gets there. Um, I am also watching. I need to now that the season is done, I need to watch Game of Thrones. um, House of Dragons. But get out your pencil because you're going to need a flow chart to figure out who everyone is. Well, I'm a Game of Thrones-er. It so was I, but it's like it it gets you nutty. I mean, here's my hand of the king. (laughs) (laughs) Right on my desk, Melissa. You um... You are out of your mind. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm ugliest. What makes you laugh? Videos of people falling make me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's very lowbrow. Okay. It's very Lysistrata, but it definitely, if every time. Um, do you follow, do you, <laughs> do you follow, I follow one called Jerry of the day, which is like dumb ski things. You know what? I need to follow that. I don't know why, but every time it gets me. Um, what else makes me laugh? Um, My mom makes me laugh. Uh, animals make me laugh. I love a good animal video. Um, but you know what? I really like, I'm, I like wit. I like clever comedy. So anytime someone, particularly anytime people come up with jokes that I'm like, God, I, I wish I thought of that. You know, that's always just a great moment. But I feel like there's just really good writing 
really good dialogue. You know, like I'll, I, I can watch Harry when Harry met Sally over and over and over again. And I'm going to laugh every time just because it's just sharp. It's witty and it's relatable. And so that combination in any form is going to make me laugh. So what are we plugging? What do you want? Because you and I have gone all over the place in this conversation. I want to make sure that you get, you know, your money's worth for showing up. <laughs> well, you can listen to my radio show, The Amanda Seals Show, wherever you get your podcasts. And that's every day, Monday through Friday. You can also listen to my other podcast, Small Doses. Uh, and you can listen to that wherever you get your podcast. And that basically is a podcast where I do a lot of interviews and talk about life stuff. I call it self-help from the hip. Uh, uh, what else? You can listen. What else? You can get my book, Small Doses which is also available uh, in paperback and on Audible. So you can get those things. And then if you really just were like, gosh, darn it, I really like this gal, you can subscribe to my Patreon for $5 a month, which you will get exclusive content and behind the scenes and uh, my special commentary that I don't share on Zuckerberg's internet. And that is at Patreon Amanda Seals, or you can also access it at theamandaverse.com. It's a universe of me. There, oh God, I'm going to subscribe. Amanda, you are hilarious, amazing, <laughs> smart. Thank you Thank so you, much. This is fun. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. A Huda Media Production.